Well, all right, let's turn in our Bibles to the Psalms. Again, if you just open it up right in the middle, open your Bible up right in the middle, you might be at Psalm 123, which is where we'll be this morning. And as you're turning there, I'll remind you that the first of those Psalms, Psalm 120, um, was the starting point of this pilgrimage. And uh, the psalm writer said, In my distress, I called out to the Lord, and he answered me. And remember, we've, we've talked about that distress is, is like going through fat man's squeeze at Rock City. It's that, that pressing of life on us. And when God's pilgrim people feel pressed, we pray. We let the pressure of living in a fallen world and with a falling heart press us to pursue Jesus. And we're continuing that theme in Psalm 123 today. But the pressure is described a little differently in this psalm. Um, and so as we read, I want you to look for the answer to this question. What is pressing on this psalm writer on his journey? What's, and what is it pressing him to do? So if you would stand with me. And you're going to help me read this psalm. You'll notice the first two verses are in the first person, and the rest of the verses are in, in first person singular, and the rest are in first person plural. So I'll read the first two verses, and then we'll all read the rest together. Here we go. This is the word of the Lord. I lift up my eyes to the hill. Nope, that's Psalm 121. Sorry. Here we go. Very similar. Psalm 123. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. And now all of us read. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated as I pray. Father, we ask that you would, uh, by your spirit, help us not only to understand your word, but um, to trust it, to believe it to see Jesus in it, and to trust him and embrace him again this morning because we need him. I know I do. So uh, help us now as we uh, look at this psalm together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I think I've told you before that I came to know Jesus when I was 10 years old. And when I was in sixth grade, I think about 11 or 12 years old, um, my reading and writing teacher, my English teacher, Mr. Turner, gave our class an assignment. He said, I want you to write a biography on a famous person, and then I want you to present that biography to the class in a, in a presentation. And so uh, being the, the new excited follower of Jesus that I was, I turned in what I the person I wanted to write a biography on. I wanted to write a biography on Jesus. And Mr. Turner 
didn't like that idea. And Mr. Turner said to me, uh, no, you're, you're not going to write a biography on Jesus. There's not enough information. Instead, what Mr. Turner told me to do was to write a biography on Elvis Presley. Because he knew that I was a huge fan. Um, because the year before, I had been Elvis Presley in the school talent show. And I was all dressed up in my white jumpsuit that my mom made for me. And uh, this, was, this was the year after Elvis allegedly died. So um, it was very popular. So he knew that about me. And so he said, no, not Jesus. I want you to do your report on Elvis Presley. Um, and so I did. And not only did he make me give the report about Elvis in front of the class, he also made me sing. Um, and it wasn't something that I wanted to do. And as I stood there singing my Elvis song, Mr. Turner sat in the back and laughed. He just laughed at me. And his laughter was not just about me being Elvis. I knew the way he had talked to me about Jesus was he didn't have a whole lot of uh, love in his heart for that either. Um, have you ever been looked down upon? I mean, that's... That's, that's a long time ago and not a, not a very intense thing. But even as I was telling the story, I felt the emotion again. Where in your life have you felt scorned, ridiculed, mocked? Um, whether it was because you're a follower of Jesus or because of something else. And how did you respond? How do you respond when others look down on you even now? Someone has said that uh, there are two ways that we often respond to uh, threats or even someone looking down on us. One, one could respond by getting small and just kind of hunkering down and protecting yourself. Or you could respond to someone looking down on you by getting big. I guess that's flight or fight. Well, at the time... Uh, I responded to Mr. Turner by getting small. I felt shame, I felt stupid, and I withered and I withdrew under those eyes of his that were looking down on me. I didn't fight back, I just did what he said to do. And I tried to cover my shame with a good performance, both academically and vocally. Decades later, as I looked back to those days, I felt this urge to respond by getting big on Mr. Turner. Now, he was big, and I, I never grew to his size, but I wanted to get big on him in another way. I, I fantasized about taking my degrees with me, finding Mr. Turner, and saying, there's not enough information about Jesus. I have a bachelor's degree and two master's degrees that are all about Jesus. What are you going to do with that? But that's, that, that impulse is just another self-protective way of dealing with shame and scorn and contempt. 
It's the impulse to get bigger than him, to look down on the one who looked down on me. And our psalmist today, in Psalm 123, is not recommending either of those responses to contempt or scorn or to the eyes that look down on us. He's going to show us that when God's people are scorned, they don't have to resort to getting small or getting big. This morning, Jesus wants to teach us that when others look down on us, we can look up to him. So, two questions for us this morning. Who is doing all this looking down on God's people? Who's doing the looking down? There'll be three answers to that. And then the second question is, who do God's people look up to? Who, who is this God to whom we look when others look down on us? And there's three answers to that. So let's, let's dive in. Who looks down on God's people? Friends, here's the harsh reality that we're all going to have to face if you haven't experienced it already. If you're going to walk with God, you're going to be looked down upon. He says, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There will be trouble for those who travel the path the narrow way of Jesus. And Jesus was even more clear. He told his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus said, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, They will also persecute you. Now, as I thought about this this morning, some of you may be experiencing some of that uh, persecution or opposition uh, because of your faith in Jesus. And some of you may not be. But regardless, whether this is going to help you now, today, or whether it's going to prepare you for the day, friends, when you will, we will, uh, face opposition and persecution for our faith in Jesus. Uh, We need to hear what he has to say to us. And I want to tell my young friends this morning, um, you, some of you are already experiencing it. I've I've heard your stories about what's going on at school and with friends, and in social media. It's getting brutal. They hate you because they hate me, Jesus said. The enemies of God are the enemies of God's people. And the Bible talks about three enemies that we have, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so those those are the ones who will be looking down on you as you make your way on this journey with Jesus. So let's let's look at those three real quick. The world will look down on you. Are you starting to feel it yet? I got a call from a parent this week who is feeling it and their children are feeling uh, the world's looking down the pressure of conforming to what the world teaches 
about who we are and why we're here. Friends, if you believe what the Bible says about Jesus is true, so if you believe the truth of God's word, and if you love others with the grace of Jesus, so, so if you're the perfect person who's balanced in truth and grace in your relationships, it won't matter how well you hold the truth and share grace, you will eventually be called a bigot, a hater. You'll be called backwards. You'll be called stupid. You'll be marginalized. You may lose a job. You'll lose friends. And like Jesus, who is the only perfectly truthful, gracious, and loving person who ever lived, you will be looked down upon with scorn and contempt. The pressure is getting more and more intense, and it seems that in the coming years, we're all going to have the opportunity to experience what the early church felt, as we are more and more scorned for walking in truth and grace. Even the most gracious among us will still be hated. Jesus said, if they, hated you, if they hate you, it's because they hated me first. The more you're going to be like him, the more opportunity there will be for you to be hated like him. That's a reality. And we as followers of Jesus are going to have to uh, come to grips with it. And our psalmist is going to help us. So the world will look down on you. But how about this one? I've, I experienced this one quite a bit. The old you will look down on you. It's what Paul calls the flesh, is the old you. Have you ever responded to your own sin this way? How could you be so stupid? You know better than that. You're such a sorry excuse for a Christian. Have you ever said anything like that to yourself? But what Paul calls the flesh is the old you before Christ made you new in him. And the old you will ridicule you and mock you for your sin for your failure to be the new creation that Jesus says you are. And that mocking, ridiculing voice is simply an echo of our third enemy, the third one who looks down on us, the accuser, the devil himself. The devil will look down on you. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of God's people. And here's what he says. How can you think those thoughts feel those feelings, say those words, and do those deeds, and still call yourself a Christian. Who do you think you are? That's who's looking down on us. And I don't know how much of that you're feeling these days, but if you have it, if you're not, just keep on living. Keep on walking with Jesus, and you will. But here's the question. This is what we want to get to. What do we do when the world and the old us and the devil look down on us? The psalmist tells us we look up. We look up above their eyes. And so who do God's people look up to? He, he describes God this way. First, we look up to the one who sits on the throne. He says, to you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. So the psalmist is telling us, hey, when you're threatened, look to the throne. 
the world and the old you and the devil are not sitting there. Those who look down on you with contempt and scorn are not the ones enthroned in the heavens. In fact, Psalm 2 tells us even more about who this enthroned one is. Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Listen to what he says. This is what the one enthroned in the heavens does. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to him, speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. He's talking about the Messiah, about Jesus. So look up to the one who's on the throne, because he's the one who has derision for his enemies. He's the one who holds contempt and scorn for them. Look up to him. Secondly, look up to the one whom we serve. Verse 2, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy on us. The world is not your master. The old you is no longer your master. The devil is not your master. You don't serve them anymore, Christian. And if they're not your master, their opinion of you holds no weight. So look up to the one you do serve. Look above those who wrongfully claim the right to look down on you. Look up to the one whose opinion matters most. He is your master. You are his servant. And when you look up at this king, at this master, what look should you expect to find in the heart and on the face of the one who sits enthroned in the heavens? What what is it that we should be expecting to find? Well, the psalmist tells us what he's expecting. It says that we look up to the one whose heart is for us. He says, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy on us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us three times. He expects the face of the God to whom we look to have mercy. Mercy. Instead of contempt, we should expect to find compassion there. You know, uh, Sometimes for our benediction, I use what's called the Aaronic blessing. It's the, the blessing that God told uh, the priests to use in Numbers chapter 6. And it goes this way. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And that word gracious is the same Hebrew word as mercy in Psalm 123. And a lot of scholars believe that these psalms of ascent are all actually reflections on the Aaronic blessing. Uh, the Lord lift, the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's what we should expect when we look up. But how, 
How is it possible? How can his heart be for us? How, how, could we, how should we expect mercy and grace from his hand? Why should he not also look down on us along with everyone else? I mean, after all, he is the king of heaven. If anyone should look down on us, it should be him because the world and the flesh and the devil are actually right about this. We are deserving of contempt and scorn. We're the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. We're, we share in their shame of sin. We've inherited their hiding. We are among those that Psalm 2 says that the king of heaven should hold in derision and laugh with mocking scorn. How should we expect mercy from him? And besides that, he's our true master. If anyone should look down on us, he should because none of us have served him as he is worthy to be served. When we lift our eyes above to above those who scorn us here to our king and master, we should find that he more than anyone is looking down on us with contempt and scorn. But the psalm writer expects mercy instead. Why? Why does he expect mercy from God's hand and not contempt and scorn? It's because of the one little phrase in verse 2. The Lord our God. And you know that in your Bibles, whenever the word Lord is small capitalized, it's the word behind that is that Hebrew name of God, Yahweh. Um, the reason the psalm writer can expect mercy from God's hand and not contempt and scorn is because there's already been a change in the relationship between the psalm writer and the God who has the right to look down on him. The one to whom God's people look is Yahweh. This is the name that reminds them that he made a covenant promise that he would be their God and they would be his people. And this Yahweh is the one who provided a way for contemptible sinners to live under the loving look of a holy God. And how did he provide that mercy? Well, the priest who pronounced the blessing, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, is the priest who also poured the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat in the temple to cover the sins of God's people so that they could have his mercy. But when God's people sang, our eyes looked to the Lord our God, they knew that the blood on the mercy seat guaranteed the blessing of mercy from the one seated on heaven's throne. And when we sing, our eyes look to the Lord our God, we're singing about Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God whose blood covers everything that makes us deserving of contempt and scorn. Jesus is the one who was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. Though he deserved no contempt or scorn from God, yet he was stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted in our place. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. Jesus hung on our cross, naked, shamed, mocked, ridiculed by those who had no right to condemn him. 
But the moment he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was receiving the the contempt and scorn that you and I rightly deserve from the only one who has the right to give it. Jesus received heaven's contempt and scorn so that all who look up to him will now only ever receive heaven's mercy. And now Jesus, the sacrifice, has become the priest who pronounces this blessing over all who are his. I, the Lord, will bless you and keep you. Look up. I will make my face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Look up. I will lift up my countenance upon you and give you peace. Look up. So friends, if you have received more than enough contempt from the world and the old you and from the devil, then look up and receive more than enough mercy from Jesus. The cry for mercy is a cry for Jesus. And so Mountain Fellowship, my fellow pilgrims to the presence of God, as we journey with God to God, as we travel together from here to home, remember, you will be looked down upon. The world and perhaps even your family and your friends, your friends at school, your coworkers, your siblings, maybe even your spouse will think you're crazy for following Jesus. And when you fall and fail to walk in his footsteps or wander away from him off the path, the old you will mock you. There's nothing new about you. What's all this talk about being a new creation in Christ Jesus? Look at you. Hey, where's the renewal? The old you will mock you. And all these voices are echoes of the enemy of your soul, the accuser of God's people, who will entice you to stray from the path and then ridicule you for doing it. Because he hates you. Because he hates Jesus. But there's another voice calling out to you this morning. The voice of the one who sits on the throne of heaven cries out, Look up! There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he cries out to you, Look up! If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And the one who sits enthroned in the heavens cries out to you, look up, since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses as we walk, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to that throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The cry for mercy is a cry for Jesus. So friends, look up, look up, look up. And as we come to this table, um, there's a part of the psalm that just has always, as I've prayed it over the years, has always fascinated me and grabbed me. It's the part that says, Behold, the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master as the eyes of a maidservant 
to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy on us. And I've always wondered, so, so what is it they're looking for? They're, they're intently fixed on the hand of their master. And people have debated over what that means. Are they, perhaps they're looking for the direction, the orders from their master's hand. And so they're intently waiting to know where to go when he points or, or, or direction from the master. But I think what they're looking for is food. <laughs> Provision, food. Here's why. Psalm 145 says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Psalm 104 These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. So these servants are looking to their master to be fed, to be cared for, to be taken care of. And I guarantee you, the one who takes care of them is the one whose hand satisfies their needs is the one whose hand they will follow his directions. But every time I read this psalm, I can't help but think of our silly dogs, Chloe and Charlie. I mean, they adore my wife, which they should, but they adore her. Their whole world revolves around her. They won't take their eyes off of her. And some of you know what this is like. You have those animals too. Their entire world is is wrapped up in her. And she's away right now, and they're driving me crazy. They're they're constantly looking for her. There's a noise in the garage. Is mommy home? I mean, it's, it's crazy. They wait expectantly for her. Why? Because they know that more than any of the rest of us in the house, her hand is filled with good things for them. They know that she will satisfy their every need. They look up to her first because they know no one else will satisfy them as she will. No one loves them like she does. And therefore, they love no one like they love her. And I say this because I want to invite you, come to the table with an expectant heart this morning. Come to this table knowing that the one who opened his hands for you on the cross, longs to give you all that you need, all that is good, because his heart is good and it is for you. Come fix your eyes on the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. He alone has what you need. So when you come to the table this morning, look up to Jesus with a longing heart. Father, would you help us to do that? Would you help us to do that? Oh, we who deserve contempt and scorn from your hand, you have given us your son who has borne our contempt and scorn in our place. And so that all now we can expect from your hand is mercy, mercy, mercy. (sighs) Thanks be to God. Amen.